First John chapter 5, this is the last uh, in a series of messages that we started the new year with on the essentials of our faith. And today we end this series in First John chapter 5. And by the way, while you're turning to First John 5, would you also please turn to the gospel of John chapter 17. I also want to look at a verse really quickly there as well as we get started in the message. So speaking of messages, next week is a standalone message, uh, and that is Communion Sunday next week as we uh, celebrate communion together as a family of believers. And then, of course, the following Sunday is our fifth anniversary, and it's Easter Sunday, so we're going to be having a standalone message for that. And then don't forget, on Sunday, April the 12th, we start a 16-week series on prayer. And I think that this series on prayer is really something that God's going to use in our, our church's life to just sort of raise all of us to a different level when it comes to our own individual prayer lives and even how we incorporate prayer within our own body. And so I'm so excited about that. So a lot of just great things that God is doing, and we want you to be a part of it as well. So when we come to the last chapter of 1 John, uh, I think the essential, if you will, that indispensable element, that, that thing that is absolutely necessary that John wants to talk to us about and how he finishes his letter with is, is wrapped around the concept in this word know or knowledge. John uses the word know, K-N-O-W, some 40 times in this short five-chapter letter. And in these last nine verses of 1 John chapter 5, he references the word no seven times. This is something that's really important to John, and he wants it to become very important to us. When John uses the word no, or talks about knowing something, it's not just, uh, okay, I intellectually can grasp that or comprehend that. It's beyond that. It's the idea of fully being aware of something and appreciating it. In other words, John is making a distinction that you and I in our lives, we can know something and then we can really know something. That, that we can have a knowledge of something, but we can also carry ourselves through life and live each day truly being always aware, always conscious of someone or something, and appreciating, if you will, the someone or something in our life. And for John, John is saying this has got to be an essential of our faith as Christians. In fact, look at verse 20 first. I'm usually going down through the passage, but I want to begin this morning in verse 20, and I should have taken my own direction as well and found John chapter 17. So let me do that real quick so that I can get back there. I want you to notice in verse 20 of 1 John 5 what John says. He says, and we know, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us insight to know him who is true. John is even saying, look, the whole reason why Jesus Christ came why he went through the incarnation, laid aside the uh, independent use of his attributes as God came to earth in a human body 
and went through, you know, life on earth and then obviously went through the cross and all of this and rose from the dead and everything. Why did he do this? Because God wants us to know him. And he wants us to enter into a personal relationship with him that just like our human relationships, hopefully grows as time goes on. To where we learn to know God, again, not just in a head way, but if you will, in a heart way. And to know God in the sense that I live every day and every moment of the day fully aware of him and what he's done for me and to truly learn to appreciate him and what he's done and what he offers me, you see, through him. This is why John says Jesus Christ came. So that we would know him. And to even have the ability to know God. Because the Bible teaches us that our God is infinite. That if he wouldn't have revealed himself and revealed certain things, we wouldn't have even known about these things. And that God even allows his children, those who place faith in Jesus Christ, to become God's children. That he gives us the ability, the capacity to know him in a a deeper way and to to go beyond just the facts, if you will, about God and to enter into a personal growing relationship with him where I become aware of this infinite God at all times and I learn to appreciate him. John said the same thing. If you go back to John chapter 17, look at verse 3. Jesus here says, Now, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? Well, Jesus says it's wrapped up in this, that they know you. Same word that John is using now in 1 John 5, and it's a favorite word of his. One, again, that really captures an essential of our faith. That God wants us to know him. And then Jesus ties this knowing him with really experiencing eternal life. So let me stop there for a minute. I think we need to differentiate something here or distinguish something. That's why you can have a Christian who knows God. They're they're truly a born-again Christian. They have faith in Jesus Christ. They, They know God and they know their sins are forgiven. They know they're on their way to heaven, all of that. But they're not, they're not beginning to know him any deeper, if you will, any greater than that initial concept of coming to know him. That they're not living every day in a growing knowledge of him to where they're truly beginning to be aware of God at all times in and around their life and through their life, and where they're truly growing in their appreciation of who God is, what they have in Him, and all of this. And because of that, they can know God, but really not be experiencing eternal life. They have eternal life. They possess eternal life. But they're not really experiencing that abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give us. On the other hand, again, you can have a Christian who not only knows 
that they have faith in Christ and they believe in Jesus as their Savior and they know their sins are forgiven, they're on their way to heaven. But they have entered into, through their Christian life, a way of knowing God. And they, every day that they live, become more and more aware of Him and what they have in Him and who they are in Him. And they become to appreciate Him more and more. And all of a sudden, this knowing Him that way they begin to experience real, eternal life and abundant life. So let me read this verse again. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So now let's go back to 1 John 5, 13 and pick it up there this morning. That's why John ends this letter And why we have seen throughout this series on the essentials that many of the apostles, whether it's John or Peter or Paul, that they end their letters with the things that they want to leave in the minds of their readers because these are the things that to them, and obviously through the leadership of the Holy Spirit as they are writing these things, that are most important, that they want to to just have their minds, you know, on as the letter ends. So notice what John writes in... 1 John 5, 13, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, doesn't every Christian know that they have eternal life? First of all, no. Not in the way John says it. But this also, can I even go back here just a little bit? This, this is also reminding us and teaching us that one possesses and has eternal life before we get to heaven. See, some people have this erroneous concept that somehow eternal life doesn't start till I leave this earth and go to glory. Well, obviously, that's not what this verse says. This verse is teaching, I have it now. I possess it now. And God wants me to begin to experience this eternal life that I have now. How do I do that? By knowing that I have eternal life. By becoming aware of and appreciating this eternal life that God has given me in His Son, Jesus Christ. Because remember something, the Bible teaches us that eternal life is not a quantity of life, it is primarily a distinctive character and quality of life. That's why Jesus says in John 10.10, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, you see. Eternal life is not just the ability, if you will, for us to live forever as eternal souls. It is primarily a quality and character of life that God wants his people to begin to experience here and now. And the thing is, John says, you have it, you possess it, so begin to truly experience it through knowing that you have it and knowing what you have. When you and I begin to think through that, even just from an earthly, logical viewpoint, I think we can begin to get what John's saying here. Because all of us have things in our life. We possess something. It's ours, if you will. And yet, we're not always aware of it. We're not always appreciating it. 
We may not even always use it. It it might sort of just sit at the fringe, if you will, of our life, and we pick it up every once in a while, but we're not like all the time engaged with something. And that's where John is saying one of the essentials of our faith has to be to remind all of us that God has called us to know him, and that's an ongoing thing to become thoroughly acquainted with him. Because when you and I get saved, I mean, obviously we have some knowledge of God. That's how we get to a place where we acknowledge that we're sinners before a holy God and that God has sent the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, to be uh, how we come into a relationship with him. And and so obviously we've got to have some understanding and knowledge of God, but hopefully it doesn't stay there. Hopefully we understand that as we enter into this relationship with God, we now have a relationship with the infinite creator and sustainer of the universe. And there's so much more about him that he wants me to know. And the fact that God even wants me to know him in that way. And and wants to interact with me and engage with me in such a personal, intimate way. Because you and I, we talked about this Tuesday night because we're going through some of the last chapters of the Gospel of John on Tuesday night right now. um, That, you know, we have other human beings that could care less if they spent time with us and talked with us and communicated with us and engaged with us. They don't want anything to do with us because, you know, either we're not their type of people or we're not important enough or we don't have enough power and presence. And here's the God of the universe who says, Jeff, can we spend time together today? I want to be with you. I want to be in every detail of your life. I, I I want you to know me, because that's what this whole eternal life thing is about. Growing to know who I really am, because God understands something, that when you and I truly begin to know him, that's transformational. That will change our life forever. When we begin to know who God is and who we are in God and what we have in God and just how much God does love and care for us and the plan and purpose that he has for our lives and who he is, then a lot of the things that you and I even as Christians struggle with, we wouldn't struggle with as much or anymore, you know, because truly just for instance, in, in one instance, if, if I'm struggling with anxiety over something, and yet I come as a Christian to truly know God, then that anxiety is going to melt away. Because I'm going to realize, oh my goodness, he's got this. And his word tells me that, that the father doesn't even miss the fact that there's a sparrow that falls out of a tree. And if God takes care of all the animals and stuff that he's created, will not God take care of me? That's why Jesus said, You don't have to worry when you begin to know who God is and how he views us and his perspective on us and what he wants to do for us. It's just through knowing him. And again, I think we can get this. Because as I even talked about this a little bit on Tuesday, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. When you and I, even on a personal, earthly level, begin to know people, we begin to know their heart what their likes and dislikes are, what makes them tick, all these things. If we can do that on a human level, then God says, have you ever tried to do that on a spiritual level with me? 
to truly know me and know my heart and know what pleases me and what acceptable to me and, and what I want for your life? Have you ever entered into a relationship with me that way to know me? That's why John says, these things I have written to you so that you might know that you have eternal life. To be aware of and appreciate the eternal life that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And to live that life every day, you see. That's what God wants for his children, you see. Not just to have it in the sense of, yeah, I've got eternal life because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. But to really live it every day. That's what John's saying here. And John says, when we begin to know God, it even transforms our prayer life. And what a great lead in, not only to our prayer series, but even next week for communion. Notice what John says beginning in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have before him. That whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in regard to whatever we ask, then we know that we have the request that we have asked from him. John says, I don't have to worry about whether God hears me or not, or even whether God's going to answer my prayers. I know it. I'm fully aware of it, and I appreciate the fact that I can talk to a God about anything and everything at any time, and I know he will hear me, and I know he will answer me. But here's something else John is teaching us here. Unlike a lot of maybe Christians who look at prayer as somehow that that thing that allows me to try to get God to see things my way, or that, that vehicle in my life to where I hopefully can wear God down and bend him to my will, John is saying, oh my goodness, you miss, you miss what the primary reason for prayer is all about. Prayer isn't even about, in its essence, asking for things. Prayer, at its very essence, is just about communing and communicating with our God and getting to know him. John says, that's the primary thing about prayer. That's why we should always be praying. Because it's not just going to God and asking for things or trying to figure out, God, what do you think about this? What's your will about that? Because that will take care of itself if we just use our time in prayer to get to know him. Then we'll know what his heart is. We'll know what pleases him. We'll know what aligns with his will. We won't have to sit there in our prayers and go, well, I don't know really how to pray for this. Flip that around. Use prayer as time to get closer to God and to know his heart and to know what makes him tick. And your prayer life will be totally transformed. Because as Jesus says, and as John says, if you ask then for whatever is my will, you'll get it. You'll have it. And we can also know this. That God will always give us an answer to our prayer. It may not be what we asked for, but God will always give us what we need. That's what John's saying. Because if we know God, 
We know that's true. Again, just like we know each other. If I don't know somebody, if I don't really have a relationship with them, then there's going to be a little hesitancy on my part or maybe even fear and trepidation on my part to go up and just blindly ask them for something. Because I don't... Are they going to say no? Are they going to be even upset that I ask and all this kind of stuff, right? Because I, I don't know them. But in our human relationships, if we truly begin to know each other, we know what that person's heart is like. We know what makes them tick. We know, you know where they're, what their priorities are and all that. Then we have no hesitancy. We have no fear and trepidation in going up to certain people that we know that well and asking them because we already know ahead of time what their answer is going to be. Why do we know that? Because we know them. I used this illustration on Tuesday night because these two messages are dovetailing. But that's why I even take family out of it, even as a staff, whether it's Chad or Nicole or Crystal or myself or whatever, and, and beyond that, our ministry leaders and stuff, as we get to know each other as God's family, there's pretty much the, the, the relationship there. It's like, I don't have to fear asking my staff for certain things because I already know what the answer is going to be before I ask, and hopefully they feel the same way about me. Well, God is saying, take that up to a whole other level with me. If you and I get to know him, then we'll know what his heart is. And prayer then will be more aligning our hearts with God so that the things that we truly ask God for, we already know that's God. We already know that's what pleases God. That's what he approves of. That's what he applauds. And those are going to be the things that I'm going after because I know those are the things that are most important to God. And the things that I, as I get to know God more, that I know isn't a priority with God, things that aren't as important to God, then I'm not going to be talking to God much about those things. That's not that God doesn't care. And it's not that we can't ask God for anything and everything. But I'm just saying, this is what John's trying to communicate here. And that's why John says we can have such confidence in prayer. Instead of going to God in prayer, God, God is, is it okay if I talk to you? Well, now think about that. If I have that kind of approach to my God in prayer, then that means I don't really know him too well, does it? Because if I really knew God and how much he loved and cared for me, I'd never be like, God, is it, is it okay? Do, do you have a minute for me? I wouldn't approach God that way. That's why the Bible teaches us, as his children, we should have boldness and confidence when we approach him. Because we know him, and we know his heart, and we know how much he loves us, and how much he wants to help and support us in this life. So that's why John is saying that, that knowing God, and growing to know him, and be aware of him, and, and appreciate what we have in him is so vital to our everyday life as Christians because it's going to transform our prayer life. And we're going to begin to understand prayer isn't just about asking God for things. It's more about getting to know him. And then it's out of getting to know him that my requests will start to blossom because I, I'm going to know what's on his heart and what's important to him. And those are going to be the things that begin for me and God to talk about. Which is why then he leads into this next section. He says, because a lot of people sometimes read through this and go, what does this section have to do with everything else? I'll show you here in just a minute. 
And so he goes on to say, if anyone sees his fellow Christian committing a sin not resulting in death, verse 16, he should ask. And God will grant life to the person who commits a sin not resulting in death. There is a sin resulting in death. I do not say that he should ask about that. First of all, John is saying, and here's the thing. As you and I get to know God, and we become closer to God and more aware of him in our life and appreciate him more, then we also become more aware of and appreciate our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're more sensitive. It's not just about us anymore. Because you can't get closer to God and get further away from your brothers and sisters in Christ. The head and the body are together. If Christ is the head of the church and we are his body, then you can't get closer to the head and not get closer to the body too. And so John is saying, when I get closer to God and draw near to God, I'm automatically going to draw near to others and I'm going to be more sensitive to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if I see my brother and sister in Christ sort of hurting themselves through, through some act of disobedience or sin or something, first thing is, I'm not going to go and talk to them about it, am I? John says, the first thing I should do as a Christian is talk to God about it. Spend time with God. And in me spending time with God, then I'll know how I should respond to my brother or sister in Christ. Maybe God wants me to have a conversation with them. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he wants somebody else. So my first response, instead of going to them, is first, talk to God about it. And in the midst of talking to God and getting to know God, I'll begin to know how I should proceed from there. Should I keep praying about this, God? Should I just leave this person up to you and let them go? How should I do this, God? God says, you just come to me, you spend time with me, and we'll work through this together. You get to know me, and you'll get to know how you handle things like that. You see. But what John is also saying is you'll care enough to come to me and intercede for another brother or sister in Christ. And that's part of this, too. John says, if if someone is getting to know God, then there's no way they cannot be affected when they see another Christian, a brother or sister in Christ, sinning, if you will, and wandering from the path of righteousness and not be affected by it. John says, that can't happen. That as you and I get to know him and draw closer to him and know God's heart, we're going to start having a heart for others like we've never had before. And it starts, as we say in the Bible, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, it obviously expands to everyone. But God says, this is how all men will know that you're my disciples, because of the love you have for one another first. And that's what John's saying here. And then notice, John goes on in verse 17 to say, all unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not resulting in premature death. We'll talk about that topic later on. Let's move on. Verse 18. We know. Do we know? Are we fully aware of and appreciate the fact of what John is about ready to say? That everyone fathered by God, everyone who is truly God's offspring, does not sin. Wait a minute, Pastor. You preaching some kind of heresy here? No. The words here does not mean that Christians don't commit 
acts of sin. We know that's not biblical. As you compare scripture with scripture, we know that even those who have been fathered by God, we will commit acts of sin. But what the words here uh, does not sin speaks of a continuous, settled, habitual lifestyle. In other words, John says, you know, Christian, right? That even though there will be those who say, I know God and that I love God and yet are living in a settled, continuous lifestyle of sin, you know that can't be. They can say all what they ever want to and we can claim whatever we want to. But the truth of God is this. No offspring of God is going to be able to live continuously in a settled lifestyle of sin. And here's why. And John says we should know this. He says because we know that God protects the one who has been fathered and the evil one or the devil cannot touch him. The word protects means to preserve, to keep intact. And so one of the things that God wants us to know is that we are protected and God will keep us intact as his children throughout our earthly life. Yes, we will sin. Yes, we will fall. Yes, we will fail God. But God will never, ever let us totally be given over to the enemy. By the way, this is very important. The word touch here is sort of a bad English translation of the Greek. It doesn't mean that the devil can't touch us because we know he can pester us even as Christians pretty good. And we know the Bible teaches resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we know about spiritual warfare and the fact that we can have interaction, if you will, to a point with our spiritual enemy or the demonic world. But this word touch here means something much bigger than the word English touch. It means to permanently adhere to or cling to or attach themselves to. In other words, John is saying, you know, right, Christian, that God will not permit the evil one, the devil, your spiritual enemy to come along and permanently attach himself to you to where you're carrying him around throughout your whole life. He won't let you do that. He won't let him do that because you're one of his children and he protects you. Are we conscious of that? Do we appreciate the protection and the preservation that God gives to his children? John says that should be something that we always are aware of and appreciate. Yes, we can enter into some spiritual warfare and, 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 and the devil can attack us and all of that. But my friends, God has promised that there will be a limit to what Satan is allowed to do to God's children. And we even see this throughout the Bible in other instances, like with Job. Satan had to get God's permission for everything he did to Job. There was nothing that that Satan could do to Job without God permitting it, because God was ultimately the one in control. And Job was one of God's children. And the only reason that God allowed it in the the first place was because God knew in his infinite wisdom that this was going to be better off for Job spiritually. And that's why he allowed it. 
Not because God was being cruel. God was actually going to use the attack of the devil to actually strengthen and make Job even better than he was. And we can have that confidence too when we begin to know God and know who God is to us. Notice it says in verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There's a sobering verse. That John is basically picturing the fact that individual Christians, here we are, over here, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, but the, the rest of the world who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, they literally lie in the power of the devil. And that word lie means to recline or rest in. I mean, think about that. It's like, ooh. The world is literally laying back thinking they're secure and that they're stable and that they've got the good life and they're just resting in the arms of the devil. That's no place to be. That's not going to end well. Because though the devil may promise us a lot, we know, as Jesus said, that he's only there to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's all he's interested in. He's not interested in our welfare like God is. He could care less about us. All he cares about is himself. And all he does is use the influence that he has in people's lives to ruin them, to destroy them, to bring them down. That's all he does. And there's the world. There they are just resting and reclining in the arms of the devil. But here's something that we need to know as Christians. An exact opposite picture. Notice it says at the end of verse 20, because we already read the first part at the beginning of the message, that we are in him who is true and in his son, Jesus Christ. And here's what those words mean. And this is such a beautiful, encouraging picture for us. That while the whole world lies in the power of of the devil and just rests and reclines in his arms, John says we need to know this every day. That we are living in the embrace of God. And that we lie and rest and recline in the arms of God every day. And that none of us as God's children can fall any lower than his arms can hold. That's what John is saying. Do you know that today? Are you aware of that and appreciate that every day as a Christian? That every day you and I get up and we go through every day that we are literally living in the embrace of God? That God has us wrapped up in His arms every day? And He's protecting us from the evil one? John says, this is why I want you to know God. This is why I want you to become fully aware of what eternal life is all about and what you and I have in God and who we have in God and what we have in this eternal life. Because John is saying it will change your life when you begin to know this God and become aware of him at every moment of your life and you begin to appreciate truly every day what we have in him. John says we'll never be the same. John understood this. Because remember, John was the, of all the disciples, John was the always one that was in close physical proximity to Jesus. And he was the one that was laying his head on Jesus' chest during the Last Supper. 
Now, not that physical proximity alone means closeness, because you and I all know, too, even from earthly relationships, we can, we can live in close proximity to someone or be close to someone in, in a physical way and yet be far away from them. So it doesn't always translate that way. But what John was trying to, I think, model was he was a guy that he just, he just always wanted to get close to Jesus. If Jesus was at this end of the table, John made sure he sat next to Jesus. The other disciples, it wasn't that they didn't love Jesus, except for Judas. It was more like, that, that wasn't that big of a value to him. But John was probably like, you know, I'm next to Jesus, I call it, you know. Because there was something about, man, if, if I can be next to him, then, then he and I can have some conversations and, 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 and I can talk to him. And That was John. That, and, and John wants that for every Christian. To wake up every day and say, I got Jesus in my life. Jesus, let me and you sit down. Let's have some good time together. Which is why then John says as he ends this great letter, this one, the end of verse 20, is the true God, the only true God and eternal life. The highest and best quality of life. And that's why then he ends this in a very sort of strange way. Unlike any other New Testament letter written by Peter or Paul or any of the Gospels, here's what John says. Little children talking to followers of Jesus Christ, because that was a very common term for disciples of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself started that. He called his followers children because he wanted us to understand that even though we could have been saved for 40 or 50 years and known the Lord a long time and went through a lot of spiritual growth, from God's perspective, we're still vulnerable. We're still in the world. We still got the flesh. We still got the evil one. And so we always need to be aware that we are all vulnerable to the things around us, to being distracted. And so he says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Always be vigilant and diligent in our walk with God every day to not allow anyone or anything else to take the place of God. Because an idol is a false god. And anything that occupies the most important place in our life other than God is an idol. Anything that takes the time away from God that should be the priority of our lives becomes an idol. And John is saying, if you know God, and you know what you have in God, wouldn't you do everything in your Christian life to protect it? To realize that there's nothing going to come between me and God, and I'm going to guard it, I'm going to protect it, because that relationship means that much to me. If I allow things to flood into my life to distract me from my relationship to God, then what I'm saying to God is, God, you're not that important. These other things are more important than you. And we all know as Christians, that can happen. Even subtly. Even unconsciously, so to speak. We get, we get so caught up in the devil throwing all these opportunities and distractions and these red herrings up in the air, just wanting Christians to chase, chase that, chase that, chase that. And here's Jesus, who we could be sitting down with every day, and, and we're running there and we're running after that, and, and we're missing time with Jesus. Doesn't that remind you of that story in the Gospels about Mary and Martha? 
There's Martha up. Not that she was doing anything bad. She was actually preparing the, the dinner and stuff for Jesus and his followers. But she was so busy and so caught up in what she was doing that she was missing the one thing that Jesus said should have been the most important thing. And she said, your sister Mary got it. Because there will always be time for dinner. That there will always be preparation that's needed. But I'm only going to be in your home so many hours. And Mary was willing to say, I'm going to put that aside for a while because Jesus is in my home. I'm sitting down with him. And that's what John's talking to us about. These things were written, John said, that you and I might know that we have eternal life. The essential of our faith is knowing God. That's eternal life. Becoming fully aware and appreciating him. And what we have in him every day. That's what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these reminders in your word. And God, we thank you that you call us to a relationship with you. To know you, to get to know you, to grow. To know your heart, God. To understand you more and more. So often we as Christians can get so easily caught up in the formulas. In the Bible facts. In the scripture quotes. And not that those are bad in and of themselves. But, but it's like our, our relationship isn't really a relationship. It's more of a regurgitation of of. God talk and, and facts and formulas. Going through motions and doing duty rather than just falling in love with God every day more and more. God, help us, even here at the Oasis, to remove those things and maybe even those habits and those ways from our life that keep us from truly knowing you and loving you more and more every day. Because when all is said and done, this is what is most important. Knowing you, God. Help us to be aware and appreciate you and what we have in you every day, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.